Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the campaign edition on CPAC. It is day 32 of the campaign, just four days left now before Canadians uh, render their verdict on Monday. Coming up, the campaign sharpened their pitches to Canadians, which include stepping up the attacks on their opponents, trying to define themselves, and dealing with candidate controversies. Coming up, the candidates will be here to debate the latest campaign developments and strategies, and we'll look at the youth vote in this election and why it matters beyond just this campaign. But first, the day on the campaign trail. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau campaigned in Halifax before heading to Fredericton. His message today was focused on liberal promises on childcare and healthcare and climate change. And once again today, Trudeau spent most of his time attacking Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. The contrast is clear with Mr. O'Toole, who wants to go back to Mr. Harper's targets, even though we've already set more ambitious targets within the Paris Agreement, even though we're on track to largely passing Mr. Harper's targets already. He wants to bring us back to that. Trudeau is also facing criticism for imploring Canadians to follow pandemic rules. He's now accused of ignoring them himself. More than 400 supporters gathered at an indoor campaign event in Brampton, Ontario, Tuesday night that included 87-year-old former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien and 100-year-old Hazel McCallion, the former mayor of Mississauga. Trudeau insists the rally followed local health rules, but the images clearly show supporters in close quarters. Trudeau turned aside the optics to focus on vaccination. We need to recognize that close to 80% of Canadians have done the right thing gotten themselves vaccinated, those who are eligible. And that means that for those people, being able to come back to uh, doing the things we love is more and more of a possibility. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole campaigned in Saguenay, Quebec. O'Toole restated his contract for Quebec, a promise to respect provincial jurisdiction in language, health and immigration. And he ramped up his attacks on Justin Trudeau, urging voters to punish him for calling the election during the pandemic. And he slammed Trudeau for that campaign rally in Brampton. Justin Trudeau held an event in a packed room in contempt of common sense and social distancing guidelines. That's Justin Trudeau, the man who lectures you about the rules he isn't willing to follow himself. As I said, always looking out for number one. O'Toole is also trying to counter efforts by his opponents to invoke former Prime Minister Stephen Harper to warn Canadians against a return to the Conservatives. O'Toole says he's working hard to move the party to the middle and had this appeal to moderate voters. If you are tired of being ignored, tired of being taken for granted, told you shouldn't be proud to be Canadian, your only option is to vote Conservative. If you're worried about Mr. Trudeau's reckless spending, his massive debt and rising prices, your only option is to vote Conservative. If you are tired of a Prime Minister always under investigation, always breaking the rules, covering things up and never keeping his word, you need to vote Conservative. 
NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned again in Essex County near Windsor, Ontario. Singh returned to his promise to eliminate profit in the care of elderly Canadians, saying he's the only leader who will deliver on that promise. Singh is also fully aware that the Liberal strategy in the dying days of the campaign is to go after NDP supporters to try to stop Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. His message to supporters? It costs you too much. It's not a free vote. It's not even a strategic vote. It costs you too much to vote for the Liberals. We're saying, if you want someone on your side, if you want someone who's going to fight for you, who's going to stand up to the powerful, to the ultra-rich, it's New Democrats. But Singh is also facing questions today about two NDP candidates, one in Toronto and one in Nova Scotia, who resigned because of past social media comments viewed by many as anti-Semitic. Singh called their online messages unacceptable, but was pressed on why they were allowed to resign from the campaign instead of being dumped by the party. Uh, vetting in general is, uh, is, is, is tricky, given... Um the change in times where people have uh, different platforms now and, and sometimes these platforms can go back for years and years. So it is it is more of a challenge to vet uh, candidates. It is something that we're constantly working on improving and, and working on finding better ways to do. It is, it is a challenge and, and it's fair to say that we will always find ways to try to improve our process and, and do a better job of it. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette campaigned along Montreal's South Shore. On the likelihood of a minority government, Blanchette would not express a preference between Liberals or Conservatives. But he did lament the divide between Quebec and the rest of Canada over language and culture. We should stop once and for all to start our discussions by the fact that the Quebec nation is in any way racist or whatever like that. We are not. We are perhaps the most welcoming community in North America. And we are proud of that. And Green Party leader Annamie Paul campaigned in Kitchener, Ontario, again making the case for the election of Greens. We bring the possibility of a change in the culture. We bring the possibility of working across party lines in the way that we need to if we are going to tackle the biggest challenges that we have in the time that we have to do it. And that's the kind of day it's been. Day 32 of the campaign, just four days to go. So we've got candidate resignations, questions about campaign rallies and closing pitches from leaders. On a day when the inflation rate for last month hit 4.1%, the highest level in almost two decades, underscoring affordability issues for Canadians. Uh, let's bring in three candidates to discuss the latest campaign developments. Joyce Murray is the Liberal candidate for re-election in the riding of Vancouver Quadra. She's currently the Minister of Digital Government. Uh, Dan Albus is the Conservative candidate for re-election in the B.C. riding of Central Okanagan, Similkameen Nicola. And Shailene Pinello is the NDP candidate in the riding of Oshawa. It's good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Um, Joyce Murray, let me start with you. Justin Trudeau is, is coming under fire today for a, a big campaign rally in Brampton uh, where the capacity rules were followed. Around 400 people gathered indoors when the rules in that region are 500 maximum. But everyone was supposed to keep two metres apart and the images show people crowded against the stage to hear Jean Chrétien and Justin Trudeau. How does this kind of a campaign event uh, maybe hurt Justin Trudeau's messaging on the need to follow all the pandemic rules? Well, firstly, we have and continue uh, uh, to follow all the public health guidelines wherever our events are held across the country, Peter. Uh, the room capacity, which was already reduced from its normal capacity due to COVID, was respected and guests were asked to follow all 
public health guidelines. And Mr. Trudeau actually spoke to this question uh, during his press conference today in Halifax. Right. Mr. Elvis, the Conservatives are facing criticism of their own over uh, pandemic management, uh, vaccinations, and some candidates who've made anti-vaccine comments, uh, candidates who refuse to get vaccinated. Who has the high road here on pandemic management? Well, I would certainly say leaders need to be leaders. They need to be consistent with their words. Mr. O'Toole has been running a positive campaign and he's been respecting clearly uh, social distancing, uh, wearing masks where appropriate uh, and encouraging Canadians to get vaccinated as the way to get out of this pandemic. It's really Mr. Trudeau that has to answer these questions about why he says one thing, why he does another. And really, uh, again, last night, the picture showed it all. All right, uh, Shailene Pinello, uh, Jagmeet Singh also faced some questions about his own rally in an airplane hangar in Windsor. The campaign's almost over now, but are leaders and parties sending the wrong message with these kinds of gatherings during the campaign? I think so long as folks are, I mean, certainly Jagmeet has been good in ensuring that all of, all of their rallies and gatherings have been taking place outdoors or in open air spaces. But certainly, I think it begs the question of the timing of this election and the fact that it was called as we were staring down the barrel of a fourth wave and how folks are still concerned, and rightfully so. And so I do think uh, we, we turn it back to why we're in an election at this time in the first place. Okay, let me move to another subject. Uh, Mr. Albus, there was a lot of focus on Aaron O'Toole's pitch to moderate voters uh, that the Conservative Party he leads is something new. It's not your father or your grandfather's Conservative Party, that the party uh, has let down voters in the past. He acknowledged that today. Why does he feel he needs to say that to Canadians now? Well, I think that his style of leadership is where you admit uh, mistakes and you admit where maybe you've gone wrong. And that humility is, I think, is what people want to hear. Uh, when I knock on people's doors, they say, tell us what your plan for the country is. Tell us about what your values are. And in some cases, there are some voters that are leaning towards voting for us, but want to hear that, that we're not the party, perhaps, that they have a stereotype of. Other campaigns have been throwing a lot of mud and creating a lot of misinformation. So but Mr. Mr. O'Toole has put out his I, platform very early on. I don't so think, that that, hang on, Mr. Ellis, a, I don't think Mr. O'Toole is talking about stereotypes as much today as acknowledging that Canadians have been let down in the past by the Conservative Party. What does he mean? Well, he said it this morning at a press conference. Uh, we didn't, in the last two elections, present a solid climate change plan. That's clearly different here today. And look, we have candidates from all sorts of backgrounds so that people can see that this is a conservative party that draws on the strengths of, of this great country. Uh, we have people from all different types of backgrounds, ethnicity, uh, religious views, as well as uh, people from the LGBT community uh, that are running as, as conservatives and are here to serve. That's the message Mr. Okay. O'Toole wants to send. All right. Uh, Joyce Murray, Liberals in the NDP can fight it out over progressive voters. It looks like Aaron O'Toole is now trying to steal away some of those disaffected Liberals with a move to the middle. What do you say to that? Well, firstly, I would say I don't know what Aaron O'Toole stands for because it seems like it's a message of the day depending on uh, what he thinks will be more popular. So, for example, page 90 in his election platform says that he will uh, scrap the gun control measures on assault-style uh, rifles 
And then he came out saying that he wouldn't do that. And then it turns out he's going to uh, have his consult on it. So what actually is he going to do? We think he's made commitments to the gun lobby. That's part of how we got elected. And that's not the only one that he's flip-flopped on. All right. So uh, you're, you're suggesting here, despite uh, what he's saying, you think it's the, it is the same old conservative party. That's the point you're trying to make. Absolutely. Right. And that's who got him elected as leader. I mean, the pro-life uh, okay. lobby, the gun lobby, et cetera, the, the, the uh, lobby against climate change. So I think he's beholden to a lot of conservative members. Okay. Let me, uh, let me must be wondering what he stands for right now. Let me move along. Uh, Shailene Pinello, uh, once again, the NDP is getting squeezed by the liberals, as they tell progressive uh, voters, only liberals can stop Aaron O'Toole from forming government. Uh, even union leader Jerry Dias is telling his members to vote strategically for liberals. Uh, you're in the heart of union country there in Oshawa. What do, you, what do you say to progressive voters who may now be reconsidering their NDP support? For sure. Well, I think I'm very lucky to be in Oshawa, where the NDP always come a close second, if not challenge for first here in Oshawa. And so we don't have to fit that rhetoric of strategic voting and, you know, the, the myth that liberals often put out, because we are a viable option here. And something that I would say is that it is getting out of hand and ridiculous to be watching, you know, two grown men bicker like children when the rest of the world is trying to find solutions for real problems that we're dealing with. And that is what we're continuing to see. So in Oshawa, you know, it's a very different conversation because people want change and they need change desperately and they don't care to entertain you know, the foolish arguments of, of men who don't seem to quite understand what it's like to be at the bottom um, or to be marginalized or overlooked. So as much as it's nice, you know, that the conservatives will, in this case, uh, tokenize racialized candidates or people with different intersections. In my riding, there is a conservative candidate whose alleged volunteer team and campaign staff have been telling voters at the advanced polls this past weekend not to elect a colored woman because they need to protect their values. So that is the reality of what it's like. That's on the a pretty serious here. allegation. Where, where, where did you hear mm -hmm. this? So this came to our attention this weekend by one volunteer and was confirmed again by a community member uh, this morning. And so it has been uh, escalated to Elections Canada, the head office by by the party. Okay, so you're, the NDP is now investigating comments. Now, who you say made these comments? Uh, an alleged volunteer or campaign staff member of the Conservative candidates part, uh, team here in Oshawa. All right. Mr. Albus, do you know anything about this? So that is a very serious allegation. I do hope uh, this NDP candidate has reached across uh, to our candidate there to share that information to see if, if that is the case. But Aaron O'Toole is very clear. It does not matter your ethnicity, your, your, your religion, whether you pray to someone or not, uh, you will have a place in Canada's Conservative Party. So this is very alarming, but I do hope that these kinds of serious allegations are being discussed because anyone who would associate themselves with any kind of comments such as that would see the door under my campaign or under our candidate, Colin Carries in Oshawa. Uh, Joyce Murray, do you, do you want to weigh in on this? Well, I, I actually would like to talk about the fact that um, the Liberal government did a very credible job in supporting Canada and Canadians through this global uh, pandemic, a once-in-a-generation, I hope, uh, crisis. Uh, getting people vaccinated uh, earlier than most other countries. And there are some big pieces, some big policies 
to actually rebuild our economy as a green economy, a fairer economy, and finish the fight against COVID. I think that that's what this discussion uh, needs to touch into. What better time for providing Canadians with a mandate to decide how to go forward in this generational crisis than now? And we have a very solid plan to support ma mandatory vaccination efforts of the provinces, tackle climate change in a way that the experts are saying is the best plan of any of the parties and to have $10 a day childcare, which is a huge economic driver and work. equality uh, opportunity for women who would like to work, but haven't okay. been able to find or afford childcare. We'll, we'll have to leave our uh, conversation at that. Uh, thank you all for your time tonight. And as I say to all uh, candidates, uh, good luck and uh, appreciate you taking time to speak about uh, some of the issues tonight. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Well, one of the big question marks in this election is just how many young people will actually turn out to cast a ballot. In the last election, that number was about 54% for uh, voters aged 18 to 24, much lower than other age groups. And this year, there are concerns it will be even lower because Elections Canada has cancelled the vote on campus program at 98 post-secondary institutions across Canada because of the pandemic. That program made it easier for students away from home to cast a ballot. So what will happen to that vote in this campaign? And why is that important? I'm joined by Samantha Roosh, the executive director of Apathy's Boring, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that works to boost youth citizenship and engagement, and by David Moscroft, a political theorist, author, and columnist. Good to see you both. Thanks for being here. Um, Samantha, if I can, let me start with you. What, what concerns do you have about the level of voter turnout among young people that we might see in this election? I think it's an interesting question because, as you mentioned, the on-campus polling, of course, is a great tool to help students overcome some of the barriers that they face, especially students that are living away from home. Um, but there were lots of other options for them to cast ballots in this election. Part of the work we've been doing is ensuring that they're aware of those options, including the mail-in ballots and, uh, and voting at Elections Canada offices. Um, but we, what we've seen coming out of the pandemic that I think is really interesting to underscore is that we did some research back a couple months ago that showed that interest in Canadian politics among young people has actually gone up by about 10 percentage points since 2019. I think a lot of that probably comes back to the pandemic and sort of the conditions that we've been living in over the last 18 months. So ultimately, I think the turnout will depend on the candidates and the party leaders' ability mm. to engage with the priorities that are important to young people and to uh, effectively address them in this campaign. All right, David, we often talk about, uh, you know, the, the sheer numbers and uh, just trying, who's going to turn out, who's not. Uh, you know, we sort of reflect on lower turnout in some age groups and go, well, that's too bad. But uh, let's take a little deeper. Why does youth voter turnout matter, especially when you look at the turnout in other groups and what that does to election results and maybe policy choices? Sure. I mean, there's two things. One is... Uh, what, what, what do we talk about and what uh, and, and who do we return to Parliament? And the fact is, if we had full turnout, we would expect that the issues we talked about and the way that we talk about them would be different. And if we had full turnout, we'd elect a different Parliament and perhaps even a different government in the long run. And if you look at polls, you see that there is a substantive difference uh, among young people compared to older people when it comes to who they support and what they want to talk about. And, and there's, there's data on this, Abacus data uh, has some stuff on this that's quite good, that the concerns vary. And so the, the question is, okay, well, what do we do then if we've got a, a turnout spread of 20 points between the youngest group and the second oldest group? 
right? Uh, how do we make sure that the agenda is set in such a way that it uh, substantively speaks to these young folks that aren't turning out? And how do we ensure that the parliament that we have in this country is made up of the people that the country as a whole want? And instead, we've gotten to this negative cycle where we say, well, young people don't vote. Um, so parties aren't going to spend their, their limited resources pulling them to the polls. Young people don't, don't vote, so we're not going to speak to their issues as much because we're going to speak to the issues uh, that, that, uh, that likely voters want to have spoken to yeah. or that uh, we're, going to, we're going to pass legislation and policies that respect the interests and the wishes and the preferences of, of those who turn out. And then, of course, the more you do that, the less likely young people are, are going to be to, to turn right. out because they feel alienated from the system. Right. And so we end up with a country that, that isn't representative of, of, of the folks on the street. Uh, Sam, do you want to weigh in on that? I mean, in the, because I mean, the, the two things are not always completely separate, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of cross-pollination, as it were, between the different age groups, a bit, and maybe more so in this campaign than some others, affordability issues. Uh, uh, they touch a lot of different voter age groups, climate change. Uh, follow up on David's comments about, I guess, how, how, how little we invest in trying to encourage those younger people to vote. Yeah, I mean, I agree with David. I think ultimately that what we see is that young people don't feel a sense of belonging or a sense of trust within our political system. So when we talk about barriers that young people face, like campus lo uh, polling locations and all of these things, there's great, but there's a broader systemic issue that we have here around how we view young people as a, constitu a constituency. So when we hit an election campaign and someone does decide potentially that they want to speak about or address these issues that matter to young people, there's also what happens in between elections. There's also sort of the the infrastructure that exists around the campaigns and, and where their resources are being allocated and, and how they're talking about these issues. So I think one of the things that young people can do or can, can think about sort of coming into this election is, you know, yes, okay, will I be having an impact on the outcome of this election? Maybe, maybe not, depending on where you live. But what you can do is sort of over time is shift the narrative around young people or people in your community or where you live and show that you're paying attention and show that you care. And I don't personally believe that we should have to do that. I, I, I would love to see us be in a democracy that recognizes all citizens equally. But unfortunately, the way that our system is structured, the way campaigns are structured, and this is where I really agree with David, that's not that's not the case and it should be. Right. So w what's the way to get around that? I mean, we we do have a system that says, you know, uh, and, and, and you've talked about it. It, it all flows together. Uh, parties target the people that they know are going to turn out to vote. Uh, that's what the policies tend to be targeted around. Uh, so how do you move away from that? How do you move away to a system that says, look, uh, are, are we saying even if you don't take the time to cast a ballot, uh, we are going to find a way to show that you're represented in the decisions we make? How do we get there? Mm -hmm. David, go ahead. Well, I mean, first of all, parties should recognize that young people can be mobilized and it is in their interest to mobilize them. So there's this sort of elite led element of, of look, there's there's there are votes lying there in this sitting there in the street. Mm -hmm. Go pick them up. Go drag them to the polls. Do you want to create a generation of young voters who are engaged with your party? Put in the work, put in the time, take a chance. My God. Uh, the other the other option is mandatory voting, which I uh, used to oppose, but now support uh, because it's not because necessarily it, it produces better voters, because often it doesn't. But it forces the parties to appeal to everybody instead of their particular niches or their likely voter neighborhoods. So we've got the voluntary or the involuntary. Uh, I have a slight preference, in fact, for the involuntary, but at the very least, we deserve parties to be out there hustling, getting young folks out to the 
to the polls. Yeah, uh, Samantha, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, l l uh, let me start with the, with the mandatory voting. Is that uh, is that a realistic option? Do you think? I mean, there are countries who have implemented those measures, um, whether or not that will, I mean, obviously there is a degree where that could have an impact on those who turn out and again, how the parties approach the citizens. But I also think it's a question of values. If, if we are a democracy and we value having a democracy and long term, we want to make sure that our democracy is thriving and robust. We have to engage younger voters. We have to take an equity approach to the people who are not turning out and really ask ourselves these deep questions of why they don't feel that their vote matters or that they that they have value within that system. And I think if we if democracy is our North Star and we really approach it in that way, I think what we have to do is address the gaps that currently exist and really focus on engaging especially those people who don't turn out and not just looking at our immediate base or the people who have reliably done so. And it's a, really a question of what we want our country to look like in the future and how we're going to get there, I think, is through uh, engaging those voters. Right. Um, David, some people would argue that there are advantages to some political parties to not engage young people, uh, to know exactly where the vote's coming from and know, uh, you know, uh, and tailor your, your campaigns and your policies that way. Because as we've sort of touched on, you can invest a lot of time as a party and sometimes you don't even invest time. We've seen some organic uh, campaigns in the last couple of uh, elections where young people came to a, uh, a party because of the messaging, because of the candidate. But for some parties, uh, there's no advantage in, in pursuing a youth vote. Tell me about that. Yeah, they've given they've given up. They've effectively said this is not our path to power. Therefore, we won't. I mean, and this is what I was talking about before, is that the fact is that there are two parties that young people are more likely to vote for, the Liberals and the New Democrats, and one party that they're less likely to vote for, and that's the Conservatives. Um, that that doesn't mean the Conservatives can't persuade young people. They've they if, if they want to try to go after the youth vote, they can. But if they choose not to, then they, then that's their disadvantage. We saw in 2015 that a huge part of the Liberal Party win and their majority, incidentally, was young voters who were turning out because they they were were taken in by Justin Trudeau by the promise of of cannabis, by the promise of electoral reform, by the promise of doing politics differently with Indigenous peoples, and that was a huge part of the Liberal win. It eludes me that, uh, that that the, the Liberals wouldn't want to go back to that well. It seems like they're not entirely committed to. The NDP enjoys high support among young people, but can't get them out to the polls. And so the other element of this is, okay, once the parties have reached out, how much of the get out the vote is actually going into mobilizing them? And quite frankly, you know, there is a party that's putting more effort into it, this than others, and it's the New Democrats. Of course, they're doing that because it benefits them politically because they have a lot of supporters there. Right. Um, but we, what we would love to see is an effort across parties to court young folks rather than assuming that they're just inherently partisan leftists and therefore not worthy of of their attention. Uh, Samantha, Elections Canada says, look, we, and, you know, the, the vote on campus program wasn't, uh, wasn't everything, but it certainly uh, contributed to uh, boosting uh, voter turnout to some degree because it made it that much easier. But the, uh, Elections Canada said, look, there was too much uncertainty around the timing, uh, uncertainty around the timing of a minority parliament. Uh, there's the pandemic, uh, uncertainty about whether they'll be in class uh, teaching again on campus. So uh, no ability to organize all of this in time for, uh, for the election. Do you accept those reasons uh, from Elections Canada? And could there have been an alternative? I know there's mail-in voting, but is there something else that could have been specifically targeted at youth voters? 
Look, as someone who's working in this context right now, I, I can kind of understand and empathize how uncertain um, with the minority government, but also with the pandemic things have been. We've had to modify a lot of our programming personally. So I, I like I said, I, I understand. I, it's disappointing for sure. But I also, like I said before, we've just been really focused on on the alternatives, on mail-in ballots, on um, you know voting in Elections Canada office. The, the great thing about the on-campus polling locations is that they're really convenient, first of all, of course. So if you have someone who's sort of on the fence and it's right there in their face, it's great. But otherwise, um, it can also complement on-campus voter engagement. And with the timing of this election, I understand how that's complicated. And I'm hopeful that they'll bring it back next time. But I'm also confident that we've been able to reach a large number of young people. So have campuses in order to explain what the options are and still encourage those young people. Well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll know uh, what we see after, after voting. But David, let me just finish on this too in the little bit of time we have left. Uh, and it's, it's, I guess it's a question of where the focus needs to be pointed. It's one thing for a, a crown agency or a, 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 a non-governmental agency like Elections Canada to be part of the outreach and encouragement. But should we really be relying on them to, to make this happen? Or is it back to this issue around political parties and engagement and mobilization? It's all hands on deck. It's absolutely all hands on deck. I mean, everybody should be doing everything they can to ensure that we have an equitable distribution of voters and that every voting group, not just age, but gender, uh, you know, ethnicity, so forth, uh, is represented properly in the electoral system so that we get a parliament and an issue agenda that looks and thinks like the country. And so Elections Canada is absolutely critical to that. Uh, they need to be ready for this because you can have a snap election under majority governments too, by the way. We remember the Chrétien years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, parties have to do that work too. Advocacy organizations, uh, Apathy is Boring is a great example, are out there doing that, but it has to be all hands on deck because you know, absent mandatory voting, and even to some degree with it, nobody can do this on their own. All right. Uh, listen, thank you both for your time tonight, and uh, we'll see what the results give us uh, on Election Day after Monday, and uh, hopefully that youth voter turnout uh, is on the way back up. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this campaign edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks again for watching, and we'll see you next time. Take care.